Welcome to the Landing Bay Zero Four. Today we're going to talk about another board game in my collection that I'm going to review coming up. Today we're going to talk about a, a series that I've got in my collection right now called the uh, Dan Versen, it's Dan Versen Games DVG, uh, his Warfighter series. And I've got uh, the modern one, Special Forces, the World War II, uh, the regular uh, World War II, not the Pacific, and also uh, PMC, the private uh, military company, and then I um, also got uh, the Night Ops. I can't remember what it's called, Shadow, Shadow War I think is what it was. So I've got those in my collection. Now I talk about this one in this review just because I feel like this is the one that I've probably spent the most money on just because of its uh, enormous amount of expansion packs. But I'm just going to talk a little bit about the love-hate relationship I have with this particular title and this particular series. Now it may seem that because I've owned four of them so far that uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, it kind of is. It kind of is in a way. For those that don't know, this series, this Warfighter series, it is a card-based game, a heavy card-based game, where you have a mission and you have an objective, and it, the mission card will tell you how many locations of cards it is away to your objective, and it will give you an idea of the resources that you can spend in terms of points on how you build your team and how you can gear up your team. And the objective card is just like your your main reason for the mission, which is uh, it could be blowing up some buildings, it could be taking out a tank, it could be rescuing somebody, it could be breaking through enemy lines, could be a defense mission, it could be a, a snatch and grab, could be escaping uh, a bad situation and extracting. So many several different uh, types of objectives, and the missions too may come with their own special. Uh, rules or their special starting rules kind of dictate how the rest of the game will go and uh, the location cards so for each um, Didn't think it was gonna be that hard to explain uh, for each location because each board has uh, Several locations or uh, a numbered location for your cards and for each one location is one spot on that slot So you go let's say your mission is or your objective. Excuse me. Your objective is on like uh slot number six you'll go through five different cards of location cards and then you'll be able to get into your objective and each location card is where a lot of some replayability is because each location that comes out can be different when you play them and when you play location card it'll kind of give you an idea or not give you an idea but it will tell you how many hostiles are on the card that you have to defeat or you don't have to but how many hostiles will spawn on that card and it also each location card comes with its own unique set of circumstances as well. It may change the rules slightly. One may be a structured location, like a warehouse. And it may have some special rules for some of the hostels that you run into. They may get a bonus because it's in a structure. Or you might be able to gain a bonus because you have something in your gear set that helps you in a structured area. Or you could be in an open field where there's not a lot of cover. So you may, may not get the benefit. Uh, your hostels may be able to get a benefit. Maybe they have something like ambush and it has a special rule where if they're in an open field They get a bonus stat 
to uh, to ambush your team. So as you go through all those locations, you hit your objective, you complete your objective, and it'll tell you on the card how to do it. So if it's blowing up some buildings, it'll say that uh, this building has so many hit points and you have to defeat it and it's considered blown up and then boom, you complete the mission by the end of the turn. Mainly the mechanics are focused around a D6 and a D10. So your D6 is like the cover roll if you defeat the cover of the target that you're engaging. And then your D10 is basically your to hit roll. So uh, the to hit roll is based on your gear, whatever weapons you may have on you. Uh, it'll tell you what the roll is needed equal to or above in order to count as a hit. And then you have to roll equal to or above the cover amount, which is on the hostile cards. Uh, if you roll above that and you will roll or equal to and or above the cover roll or equal to and above the uh, to hit roll on your weapon, you get both of those. That is a hit where you defeat one uh, hostile on the card. And if one of those doesn't beat it, like one, your cover roll uh, is beat or you roll high enough for the cover roll, but the weapon roll isn't high enough, then the hostile card will get a suppress, which basically slows down that enemy, but also can kind of affect how much damage potentially they could send your way. Now on each hostile card, again, a lot of them are very different and they'll have different reticles on it. And each reticle on the card represents one hostile that's uh, on the card. And once you defeat all the hostiles on the card, you discard it. And then it has a little experience at the top right, a number, and that's how many experience points you get for defeating that enemy. You can use experience points to help you avoid the enemy, like to sneak around them, to get rid of them, or you could use experience points to help boost things that are in your own gear, or sometimes it'll be something that's in your card. The way you build your team too is quite interesting because each time you, you have to have what's called a, a player soldier and then you have an NPC, an NPS, which is like a non-player character, and then the NPS is uh, a non-player soldier. And the way to look at it is the the PS, the player soldier, is like the main character. The NPC is a strong supporting role, and then the NPS, the non-player squad soldier, uh, that one is basically like your background character that doesn't really have a lot of stats or mean much, but they're there to help you out. Now the, the player soldier cards, they will have like things like a health on there, which kind of dictates how many cards you can hold in your hand because the way the game plays out from the main player's perspective, you get so many cards and those cards will help you boost things like boost your attacks, boost your defense, help you to move from location to location without spending actions, negate hostile attacks, just about anything you can think of. And it, it's all very thematic in the way the cards come out as well and it has certain conditions to meet on the cards and some cards are so powerful that you will need to use experience points either to use them or you can use the card but you can also spend experience points to keep them the main main cards the main player cards uh, this is where you can actually build out their kit their gear and there are a ton of gear cards ton of weapon cards things tools that you can use to accomplish whatever the objective is only that but you have attachments ways to expand your your gear slots if you will because like each each player card will have a certain gear limit amount and once you start going over that gear limit amount i don't think actually you can I have to reread the rules but you, you can only have up to that gear limit 
and there are some types of gear like a backpack or like some webbing that you could increase the gear amount that you can take and attachments to on either your gear or your weapon that also will start to take up uh, loadout which is your your equipment slots is the best way I can explain it all those things cost points resource points each card that you use whatever player card that you use whatever NPC card you use or NPS card that you use they all cost points gear costs points um, and then with the NPC soldier cards yeah NPC cards those will come pre-equipped for you so you just grab the equipment that's in their list and attach it to them and then for NPS uh, cards they have no gear and equipment they just have basically a to hit chance roll and some health now each of the cards have health slots and if they not health slots but a health or a hit point maximum so if they receive so much amounts of damage they are considered downed they're not out so you can use others to try to go and heal them and if they get healed they're back up and running and you can use them again if uh, you do a poor job of healing them then you can never attempt to heal that damage token again because the way it works is if someone receives damage they get like they receive one damage you get a token that has one damage number on it and you put it on their card and then if they receive another damage you don't flip over or you don't get a new token and bump it up from one to two you then just get another one damage token and you put it on there so when you attempt to heal and it says oh will you heal um one damage token but the other damage token does not get healed so you take one damage token off and then you flip over the remaining one and you can no longer attempt to try to remove that damage again it's basically been bandaged but it's not like fully healed it's like the basics of the player hand you have your squad or your group of guys that you put together you have the gear that you put together and with the player soldier card then you get additional cards from the action deck to use and uh, again you have your to hit rolls on the weapon cards that you select and then there's again attachments and things that you can add to your player card to give it buffs to help with uh, rolls to increase stats and all of stuff so and the whole point of the game is to move from card to card from location to location and your complete your objective and do your best not to get anybody downed while you're on your mission and the cool thing is as you start generating more locations it then because the location each location card has a range so like if you're in the same location card with a hostile card it's a range of zero if they're on the adjacent card then it's a range of one so on and so forth and then you can also build some characters in a way to have like uh, some snipers that'll overwatch everybody else so the longer the range the easier it is for them to hit a hostile card but they have to get left behind and then through that well actually through the player turn the hostiles also get a turn so they'll try to move closer to one of your one of your characters one of your cards that you have and uh, you'll start pulling tokens from a cup to figure out which ones that they go to because as you I guess I didn't explain that either because it's there's a lot going on in this game but as you pick your characters you assign them numbers from like one to six or one to five and generally you won't be able to get more than like three or four on a mission at once but in any case uh you number them one to three and you'll have tokens that'll help you identify who is who and then it corresponds on the location cards so that you know who is where as well but then you also have these 
separate tokens or yeah separate i don't know tokens pieces that you will have it'll be numbered one to six and there'll be four of each and you put them all in one cup so you just draw one token out and whatever number it is corresponds with the number that the hostile is currently focusing on so on the hostile turn they'll try to move closer if they need to if your player character or your any of your other characters are within range then they won't move closer they'll just stay where they're at and attempt to hit or damage your character or any of the the characters that you've selected through the mission lots of times each different hostile card has different uh, strategies and different tactics that they'll use so you'll start to try to prioritize and take out the ones that do dmr the biggest threat to deal with but anyway once they move once the hostiles move they'll attempt to hit on their turn and after they attempt to hit oops before they attempt to hit and even before they move you'll have what's called a reinforcement draw which happens every single turn at the top of the hostile turn um you'll pick a card from the hostile deck and if it's if it matches the number that's on the reinforcement number on the card or sometimes each mission will say you know you'll draw a reinforcement card every single time no matter what and if it's within the number range or if it is that specific number then the hostile stays if the hostile's number is outside of the range then you just discard it and move on you don't have to continue to redraw every single time well not every single time you don't have to continue to redraw until there's a number within the range it's just one draw and if they don't match the number you discard no reinforcements come if it's within the number range then the hostile stays and reinforcement draws are typically done on the location card where all of your player characters are at or all of your character cards are located so just to simplify how the turn order works it's you as a player do your actions first with your cards whatever cards you want to play from your hand moving trying to get location cards playing location cards and then once you play a location card hostiles will immediately show up and then you can start trying to defeat hostiles before their turn and if you do so great and then you can move on to the next location if you have it in your hand if not you can always discard and redraw and for each uh, character card that you have they'll have a limited number of action tokens that are tied to them and once you run out of action tokens that's basically the end of your soldier turn is what what they call it and um, then it goes to the hostile turn which reinforcement draw they move closer if they need to and then they try to attack all of your player soldiers or all of your soldier cards and once they do all that that's the end of the turn the end of the round and there is a timer that's on uh, the board that continues to to tick down and once the timer hits zero you fail the mission if you don't complete the objective at that time and the timer is based on whatever mission card you select it'll tell you how much time you have to complete the objective basically it's just telling you how many turns you have so here we go a basic rundown of how the game works and as mentioned before i've got four of the warfighters uh, titles in my collection there's a couple of more there's one that's like a fantasy kind of setting medieval have not gotten into that one and then there's also a world war ii specifically in the pacific theater i uh, have not done that one or have gotten that one and I Nope, that's it. I think those are the only two that I do not have in my collection that's, that would complete it. As you would imagine, each one has its own theme. So like, for instance, uh, the PMC one, the Mercenaries, that one I think is actually my favorite one of the entire series because on top of all the things that I've explained, it also adds an element of finances to it all. So 
instead of using resource points to build up whatever team you want, you have a set amount of money that you can spend on getting mercenaries, equipping them, leveling them up, and taking them out on contracts. And then you bid on contracts, and whatever contracts you get depends on what kind of missions generate. And then you look through the deck to build the mission, because it'll tell you specifically how to do it. And as you complete missions throughout uh, the contract, then you start generating some money out of that. And then once you complete the contract completely, then you may get some more money on top of that as well. Depends on what you do. And also, there will be um, cards for competitive or, or yeah, competitors other mercenary companies that are also trying to bid on the same contracts that you are. And not only that, you have your own office that helps give buffs and helps you to increase your income. And then there's also your compound that would be in the location that your mercenaries are operating out of. And the compound will also have uh, some things to kind of help you out, like air, air conditioning to help combat, combat the heat, some checkpoints, some security gates, uh, a medical facility, and the more you upgrade your medical facility, the more opportunities your mercenaries have to heal after a mission if they've been damaged. DMC1 adds a whole new element of what I think should happen with the, the, the series because the other games, as far as I'm aware, the other games, they don't really have that kind of campaign system built in. It's basically you take it out of the box, you pick what you want to play, and then you play it. Once you're done with the mission, you can put it back and then never see it see it again and you can build it a different way there is a kind of tacked on campaign experience that's in all the base games which will tell you how to conduct a campaign you pick one player soldier and then which i didn't actually explain because there is also skill cards which is like a stereotypical rpg system that you can think of whether it's DD or whether it's uh, a general rpg game like Star Wars, Knights um, of the Republic or Knights of the Republic 2, anything that has a leveling up system and then you get extra skills to help you out as you progress through the game. So there are these skill cards that will also boost your only your player soldiers uh, stats and also give them new abilities. So in the base game you can just pick whatever skills you want, you pay the resources for that, or if you do the campaign mode after you complete a mission, whatever location card the objective was in, that's how many points you have to spend on your skills, and you keep the skills throughout the rest of the game. And if your player soldier ever becomes downed, they have the opportunity to return to another mission. There's a, a D10 roll that you make, and if they fail that, then they're out of the game. And once they're out of the game, you lose the campaign, and then you score on its arbitrary campaign system. And with uh, the World War II Pacific one, they had more of a... I would say a more structured campaign system where it's like specific battles and you go through like the Battle of Wake Island or the Battle of Iwo Jima and you'll have these little spots on a small map that you can move around to kind of get an idea of uh, different objective types and progression is the main thing. Progression. But uh, like the modern special forces in the World War II and Pacific and uh, actually to an extent the Shadow War one they all have kind of the same thing where you can play their tacked on campaign system if you want to and track it that way. But in general, it's you pick a mission card, pick an objective card at random, build your team, do your thing, and then that's it. So there's that style of play, but thematically, all of them have their own little things like the, well, actually the special forces and the, the, the modern one, the modern special forces, and then 
the regular World War II that's in Europe kind of play out very, very much similar. It's just a different era. And it's only when PMC comes into play where it changes up the game formula a lot. And then also with Shadow War, it takes or it changes up the formula a lot because in the regular games, it's uh, when you make contact with hostiles, your first thing is to get rid of them as quickly as possible. But in Shadow War, it's very much focused on being more stealth and making sure that you get in, do your objective and get out without alerting anyone, without uh, uh, tipping off the enemy QRF, the quick reaction force. Which once they get alerted, then it's pretty much game over for your mission. You're you're in scramble mode. But what's cool is in the Shadow War one, there are double-sided cards for each hostel, so you don't know what it is when they come out onto the board, and you have to identify them using some of your actions. Sometimes you can use like experience points or something else, or like discarding some cards from your hand to then reveal whatever that hostel is, because the unrevealed hostel will always be way more dangerous than what it actually is. So it could turn out to be something just like a shadow that is harmless and you discard it immediately or it could be something like a technical or an enemy vehicle that comes out and now it's going to be a lot harder to maneuver around and if you tip off that vehicle then it's practically game over so you want to try to stealth in around it and also on top of it there's like a noise system so even if you do decide to take that shot that shot generates noise, and if it generates enough noise, then it's going to tip off someone anyway. So you really have to sneak around, only take the shots that you know you're going to hit, and again, try to be as sneaky as possible, like Splinter Cell style. Or, actually I don't know much any other self game, but any other self game that you can think of, it's focusing on making sure that you're unseen and undetected. Now, what comes in each of those boxes? just straight from the get-go. Like for the modern one, you have three different or two different theaters that you can go in and like three different decks of hostile cards that you can play with and quite a few of your base characters and cards that you can use and a lot of skills that you can use to attach to other player soldier cards. All right, so there's a lot to play with, a lot of replayability in there. And it's the same for the rest of the, the box sets. The things that come right out of the box, like, well, actually for the World War II one, it's only Europe, but it's got a lot of locations and it's got a lot of hostels. And also in the World War II version, there are frontline hostels and then there are elite hostels, which it's uh, like whichever one's easier. Like the front lines are easier and then the elite ones are harder. So the elite ones will have crazy stats and can easily hurt your, your, your guys when you're on a mission. So that's like the difference. And then the PMC one, it's just one theater, but it has two different uh, sections. It's like, or three different sections. There's like the streets, open ground, and um, like within a building. So those are the types of theaters that you'll be in. And like it's hostels, uh, there's like a baseline hostels. And then after you go so many weeks, it'll start adding, the game will start adding elite and harder enemies into the deck so they can come out at random and kind of mess your day up so generally a lot comes with the base game now right at the beginning i said love hate relationship with it because it's a great system it's an easy system to get into i mean with the base game with because it started off with uh, the modern one modern war special forces that one was the first iteration of the game so i guess i would recommend starting with that one if you want to get into it but all the different expansion packs that are coming out with it they're changing the game so much and the rulebook 
it has now become super thick because it's covering everything for every box. So it's a universal rule book, so you just have to look in the section with whatever boxed set that you've got and then read the rules from there. Uh, basically, it's it's super simple, super easy to get into. It's just once you start getting into the nuanced things, into the expansion packs is when extra rules start coming into play. But if you've got it, don't let the rule book overwhelm you because I know it's super thick, but with each page, it is just chock full of huge pictures and examples on how to play. And a lot of the extra pages are just referencing how to play the expansion packs or how to play specifically like PMC or specifically the Shadow War, which it'll only have like a couple of extra, maybe four to five pages that are that are on how to play those other boxed sets. That out of the way, club pay relationship are the expansion packs because the expansion packs are pretty cool. So, well, most of them are pretty cool and pretty awesome and they add a lot to the game. Each expansion adds something like 50 cards to the game. For instance, uh, for like the World War II one, there's, uh, you can have basically just about any conflict you can think of between whatever nation had participated. So you can have uh, uh, German, Polish, French, uh, the UK, UK paratroopers, the SAS paratroopers, or the Red Devils. They're not really SAS, but the Red Devils, the paratroopers. Uh, you could have the US, US paratroopers, the Marines, um, Japan, China. I'm pretty sure I'm missing quite a few more, but there are expansion packs for all of them to add all of those forces and their unique abilities and uh, their unique weapons to the game, which is pretty cool. But again, each one costs like $20 on the main DVG site, and you're hard pressed to find them any cheaper anywhere else. You might be able to get on eBay and get them for like 10 bucks if they're old enough, and if they're not popular, you might be able to snag quite a few for a cheaper price. but. In general, you're going to be paying about 20 bucks per expansion pack. And those are the small expansion packs. Because there are a couple that are double double deck expansion packs, which is like 100 cards per pack. And those are 40 bucks a pop, right? Some of those double deck expansions will add like more more character cards for every single game with every single expansion. Or not every single expansion, but every single iteration of the game. Or it'll add skills for every iteration of the game. Uh, for World War II specifically, they even have vehicle cards for every single nation that you can play as, but it's only specific nations per pack. I think there's two or three vehicle packs, and those are you know, $40 a pop. So if you want to have uh, a Sherman, but then also a Panzer IV, then you're going to have to buy two different packs. Again, it's like $30, $40 a pop. You can quickly start to see that um, that's where the love-hate comes in. Do you need the expansion packs to enjoy the game straight out of the box? No, you don't need the expansion packs whatsoever. But it does add a different flavor to the game. And for the collector in you, that's probably going to be your go-to, which is to get every single expansion pack ever. Um, but that's just like the World War II side. For like the, the modern one, it's just it adds so many things like K9 units. It adds uh, different scenarios. I mean, World, the World War II one adds different scenarios like It'll have cards specifically for an Iwo Jima scenario, or cards specific specifically for St. Lowe, or cards specifically for the Battle of Atu in the Aleutian Islands, or uh, Castle Eater. The, uh, that one's a double deck, which, again, just adds cards to have that specific scenario for the modern. Generally, it's a ton of uh, weapon expansion packs, but there are also other nation expansion packs uh, specific scenario packs um, like Fallujah or 
I can't remember what the operation was called, but a Mogadishu Black Hawk Down. Uh, there's like a double deck expansion for that. Um, for PMC, it just adds more mercenaries that you can add. There's this one called Street Cred where it kind of adds uh, a reward system. If you complete a specific thing, then you get a card that helps out a ton. And for the modern in World War II, there's like a metal pack for each different nation that's in there. And if you fulfill the conditions for a metal card, then you earn that metal for forever. And it comes with little stickers that you can put on the the uh, the cards so you, you can remember what kind of buffs they get right up from the get-go. And as you're listening to this, you're starting to think, well, $20 there, $20 there, $40 there, $40 there, $20 there. And that's kind of where the hate relationship comes into play. Okay? And then, to, to top it all off, there's even, like, huge box expansion packs, like, like a, I think they call it a Foot Locker or something expansion, where it gives you this huge box with dividers for every card that's in the game, and may give you maybe a set of 50 cards to add to whichever game that you buy it for. Or there's, like, a deal where you can get, you know, six or seven expansion packs right out of the box, but it's still it's going to cost you about 130 bucks. Like even with uh, the Shadow War one, there's you know expansion packs for specific scenarios, or it just adds uh, new theaters like uh, the Jungle, Jungles of South America, or something, or uh, Africa, or something. And to reiterate, you do not have to have all these expansion packs to have a maximum amount of fun. It just adds a new theme to it or a new take on it to kind of freshen up the game a little bit. Absolutely not necessary whatsoever. So in short, really what the expansions do help you to build out a conflict, whatever you would like. It, it really is just a sandbox system, a, a sandbox of whatever you can imagine. You could probably create that scenario and play it out. And that's what it, I think it's built for, just to be so open-ended. It just gets tiringly expensive to invest into something like that. Uh, don't let that scare you away or anything. The base games are fine in of themselves. And if you haven't guessed it already, it's basically a solitaire system, but it's also co-op. So you could also have up to four other players around to play either uh, player characters themselves, go into the NPC characters if uh, they don't want to build anything, or if they just want to keep it super simple, they could even play the NPS. And it's, uh, it's a very, very easy co-op system to get into to have discussions around the table, to go on basically an adventure, to have a good time and have stories afterward if you complete the object objective uh, or not. You may be able to, you might fail the mission and but still have a pretty tall tale to tell uh, the next time you see some of your other friends or something. But uh, the score that I'm gonna give, the I would say just the Warfighter series in general over all of them. I mean, there's some that are much better than others, but overall, I would give it like an 8 out of 10 because some of the things I don't like about it is it is very much of a dice chucker. So if you're not great with rolling dice, it may not be one for you because you're going to be rolling dice a lot in this in this series. So that's how all actions are done. Generally, need to heal, got to roll for it. Well, I guess if you need to move from one place to another, you don't have to roll for it. But uh, for like the shadow one, uh, you have to roll a lot for if enemies get alerted. Uh, so you'll be rolling like every turn or every little thing that you do, you'll be rolling. Um, for any attack that you do, you're going to be rolling for it. I'm not too much of a, a dice checker myself. I don't I don't like it too, too much. Just because the odds is never in my favor. But to save it just a little bit, 
There are action cards that come out in the deck that will help you with just about every roll type that you can think of, or it may give you a, an automatic roll of 10 and an automatic roll of 6. There's some cards in there that will help you do that. There are skill cards that will help modify your dice rolls as well or help you re-roll something. So, I mean, it, it, there's still an element of trying to help maximize your turn as much as you can, but even then it's not enough. Another negative is just the sheer amount of expansion packs that are out there. It just gets pretty expensive and pretty pricey if you want to get into a lot of them because there are really good ones. I mean, the expansion packs, each one I've gotten, I think there's only one that I wasn't particularly a fan of. I think it was one of the um, uh, World War II French expansion packs. I thought it was going to have a little bit more to play with in there, and it just felt like I got shorted a little bit. But that was the only one out of the something like 15, 16 different expansion packs that I've purchased over the years. Okay, this game came out in uh, 2014, I think is when the first one, the modern one, was released. 2014. And I bought the World War II one as soon as it dropped. I didn't get the modern one. I played it on um, the, what's it called, Tabletop Simulator, because uh, it came with most of the expansions already, and it was for a super cheap price. So I tried it out on uh, Tabletop Simulator first when they first, well, not first dropped it. There's a mod on there that kind of helped put all that stuff on there. Anyway, so I tried it uh, in Tabletop Simulator, and I thought it was okay enough to get into but I wasn't about to just spend the money at the time because I didn't have a lot. So I just didn't didn't pay for it for a long time. And then the World War II one was announced. And when it dropped, that's when I first bought it. And that one came out in uh, 2016. 2016 was when it first released, somewhere around there. So that's when I made the purchase for a physical copy was that one. So I started it in 2016. So about six years worth of, you know, slowly, very, very slowly purchasing expansion packs. It'll be like one here wait a few months or something one there not a lot and then eventually got up to whatever it is now 12 or 13 or so but yeah uh, out of all the expansion packs there's only one that i was not particularly pleased with all the rest of them were pretty good and really added some cool stuff to the game and that's all it really is it's just cool stuff nothing essential just cool things also the one thing i wasn't a fan of i mean uh, just about all of DVG games, their rule books are fantastic. Like, I wish all board game companies... I know I said that last time with Fire in the Lake, but Fire in the Lake was uh, GMT. Their tutorial series, or not tutorial series, but their tutorials in their rule books, or their separate tutorial rule book, is like gold. That is gold, it's diamonds, whatever you want to call it. It's so great, and it's valuable. Everybody, every board game company should get on board with doing a tutorial book just so they can get into the game and just start playing right away uh but what dvg does really really well i think and i, I hope most other people think too their rule books are just so simple and so easy to get into because it really takes you step by step like right from the get-go it'll tell you the pieces that are in there a little bit about each piece and then it goes right into here's how the game flows it, it I mean, it just keeps it basic. Here's here's the game. This is the way it works. Here's how the turn goes. On your turn, you're going to be doing A, B, and C. And it has so many pictures and so many examples, highlights, circles, things for you to focus in on. It, it just makes it so easy to read because it's big text, big pictures, lots of arrows, lots of circles. It's just my pace for, for reading, okay? <laughs> Not a lot of text and a lot of pictures. 
but in the same vein, just for this series specifically, the Warfighter series spe specifically, it's uh, it just become overwhelming just because of the sheer amount of content that has been released, and a lot of that content has its own special rules. If it's not on the expansion pad pack box, which typically it isn't, it'll be in a section in the rulebook, and the rulebook is super thick. So there is an intimidation factor that shouldn't be there, but also it also becomes difficult to find what you're looking for quickly because you have to go through all the sections, even though the sections are broken up fairly well, you'll still have to search a little bit longer than what I would have liked to for edge case rules. And I mean, there are player aids that definitely help out a ton to help you with all the key texts that's in each card. You just look it up real quick and it'll tell you what the key text means. But for the main rule book, it's just it's too thick. It's too much. And I get why they're doing it, because it's, it is a universal system. Once you know how to play one of them, you know how to play all of them. It's just there are, again, thematic things that are in each individual boxed set that, uh, that's a little bit different. And uh, I think that's about it that I don't, uh, don't particularly much like about it. Just a lot of dice chuck in the expansion packs and the rule book, which are, I guess, arbitrary. Now, the things I do like about it is just the sheer amount of stuff that you get. There's just so many cards to play with, so many different things that you can play. The replayability rate is super high. It is ridiculous how much you can replay the game and have it turn out somewhat different every single time and have a new story to kind of tell or a new story to experience every single time. It's really, really cool. Quality of the cards and the quality of the components, the tokens, everything, it is just so top-notch. Like. Uh, DVG, what I love about their their tokens, their pieces, their cardboard pieces, when you punch them out, they're already rounded for you. And they're, they also have this nice little curve on them as well. It's not just a flat piece. If you notice, if you have any of, of those games or anything by DVG, all of their little tokens are, have a little curve to them and, it, and they just feel nice. And I've had, again, uh, the World War II Warfighter World War II for, what, six years now? And... For the most part, all the cards, because I don't put them in sleeves or anything, they're just bare. Uh, but the cards and the tokens, they're still top-notch. For as many times as, I, as I've played that game, uh, it's its held up really, really well. So I think the quality of all of Danvers and Games, their their stuff is just high quality. So I get why you're paying top, top dollar for expansion packs and top dollar for uh, some of their vanilla sets. It's just excellent. And the gameplay itself, I mean, I like how simple it is because you, once you play one of them, it doesn't take too much time if you haven't played it for six months to get it back out of the box. And you can just basically get right back up and playing like nothing ever happened. So it's so simple to where you don't have to reread the rule book if you haven't played it for a really long time. I will say if you haven't played it for like years or something, you may have to reread the rule book, but it's like riding a bike. Uh, once you get it out and see the cards and the components, you'll know exactly how to play it. Also, uh, the cool thing I like about uh, the game, which I didn't touch on, was the resource management. Because uh, all of your gear, well not all of it, but most of your gear has tokens that go along with it with how many times you can use it. Like your medical kit, you will only be able to use a handful of times and then that's it. So you'll really have to manage that resource. Also, all of your weapons have a limited amount of ammunition to, to use. So you could run out of ammo and gotta reload and stuff. And you have to manage that. Yeah, there's a little bit of resource management in there as like during the mission, which I think is pretty cool. And it makes a uh, because there's a lot of other card games that I've found out there, a lot of 
combat or quote tactical card games that are out there that uh, try to do what Dan Verson does and have I don't I don't know how to explain it. Uh, what's the one card game called? It's like D Day something something or other, but it, uh, it just seems like it's a overcomplicated tactical strategy game that uses cards, whereas this one, the Dan Verson game one, just really simplifies it all. So it's easy to get into, despite having a ridiculously thick and crazy looking rule book. So that, uh, the amount of decisions that you make just even before playing the mission, because you choose the mission, you choose the objective, and then you start building out what kind of gear you need in order to complete it. So there's so much that you're going like, do I need to take this or do I need to take that? Do I want to try to keep it up close and personal? Am I trying to go for a more long range? Could I do like a traditional sniper team where it's only two people and complete the mission? Or do I need to try and get as many people out of here? Because the way it works, depending on how many resources you spend on your gear and on the character cards that you get, it can directly translate into how many hostiles appear on each location card. So if you go with less people, then basically you'll have less hostiles that'll come out, but you still have to deal with them. Whereas if you take a lot of people with a lot of gear, then there's going to be a lot of hostiles that are going to come out. So I think gameplay balance is pretty good. I don't think uh, I've never ran into a situation where it was a no win. It was just basically bad decision making, which destroyed the run through or the playthrough. So again, coming to decision making and strategizing and being tactical about it. If you put a lot of forethought into things, then generally you'll be able to win every scenario no problem. Whereas if you just start making decisions all willy-nilly and not really putting much thought into it, you might not even get past the first location card. You may just get stuck there, either run out of time, or everybody gets downed and you lose. So I think that's really a cool component where your decisions do matter, and it's not like one decision set is the right one for every single mission card, and it may not be the right one every single time because there are other paths that you can take and not just that same one that you take over and over and over again you can still come up with new and creative ways to work the problem and overcome the problem and finish your objective and win the mission in case in point in one of the world war ii missions i just hodgepodge together something at random and just it didn't work out like i've got to the second location card and everybody got down again it was just poor decision making poor tactics and I know it doesn't sound quite tactical because it, there's only one plane of movement and that's your like your typical Super Mario where you go left to right. It's a 2D kind of left to right experience. But still, the decisions that you make, when to move, who to move, when to do it, and when to attack, when to try to maximize your cover, all that stuff kind of comes into play. And if you start making poor decisions, then poor outcomes will come out. Another cool system that's in there is suppression. Now, if you, you know, fail to beat both roles, you know, you only beat a cover role or you only beat the meet your weapon role, uh, then one enemy is suppressed. And what that means is, again, depending on how many enemies are available to attack, which suppress takes away uh, an available enemy, and then the EKIA takes away an available enemy. Once you start whittling down the numbers, they also start having weaker and weaker stats. So once you start suppressing, then uh, they have weaker stats that you can move, get other people in there without any danger. And then they also are not able to move. Yeah, they're not able to move if 
even if they even have one suppress marker on them, they can't move. And if they're all filled up, like all the reticles are filled up with suppress markers, then they can't attack either. Now, of course, on the start of their turn, or uh, they'll have they'll be able to remove one suppress suppress marker, but that's their action for that turn. And then on the flip side, if an enemy decides to attack you, you still roll that d10 and d6, depending on how many the card asks you to do. You can uh, your your characters can then become suppressed. So then you waste an action trying to remove the suppress markers for them to be able to do anything. So that's a really neat little system to where even if you're not making your hits, you may be able to suppress and then run away. Or you might be able to suppress and then infiltrate that uh, location card and be able to do some more damage that way. Again, decisions. Lots of them need to be made. And poor decision making, poor tactical choices may have poor outcomes. And good decision making gets rewarded with success. I mean, there are some times where you make the best decision possible and it still doesn't work out, but you can still scrounge out a success out of it. But if it's consistent poor decision making, then uh, eventually it's going to lead into a mission failure. And generally, it's just fun. The art style is, uh, from, from time, I mean, it, the art style is kind of all over the place. There are some actual photos, there are some that uh, an artist has done. There's some where it's just like 3D pictures of of stuff, like some pretty basic uh, 3D renders of buildings or planes or vehicles or uh, something along those lines. But for the most part, it's pretty good. It's pretty solid. May not be the most consistent thing throughout all of them. And even like uh, for like the cards that you get, the expansion pack cards, you may be able to tell which cards are the expansion pack cards because even though they're great quality you can definitely tell that a set of cards was done at a different printer than the original set of cards that's in the box you might get uh like some cards are brighter than others some co uh, cards are darker than others i guess that that would go on the cons list but uh and also kind of the art style is all over the place so that might be a, a small con as well i will say though for the shadow war one the the thematic art style on that one is very consistent throughout so I, I don't know why that is but i mean a lot of it is done like through the lens of if you're looking at through uh, through nods through uh your the, the night vision goggles uh everything looks green and white so i guess it's th thematically it, it works really well but as an art style for something that looks appealing it, it may not be fully there that's that's all i'll say about that but for again, for it being thematic and immersive, it's really cool. We'll say, I guess we'll go back to one other con, is the setup and teardown time, because there are so many components. Now, I, I love a board game that has a lot of components. I've got uh, this awesome game called Dinosaur World. It has so many components in there, and I love it to death so much. However, it's a beast to try to get it to, to get it all set up and it's a beast to tear down and organize and stuff and warfighters the same way where you have an amazing amount of components a lot of things going on but it just kind of slows down with setup time and then also slows down with tear down time just a little bit i mean once you start getting everything organized the way that you want to and the more you play it the quicker you'll become at setting it up and tearing it down but man it's still a, a monster to kind of set up and tear down. Kind of like Fire in the Lake 2, uh, you know, a lot of components. Well, I mean, maybe not a ton of components, but there's a lot going on and it may be a beast to set up and tear down. So I guess that's a little bit of a con. A lot of, a lot of things going on, a lot of components. 
and it feels like i would say a good thing but also kind of a bad thing about it is that they're still constantly releasing expansion packs for all of them and i say it's it's a great thing because it definitely gives more stuff to play with and who doesn't like more components to add to a board game i mean uh, i have to stop myself a lot of times from buying ex every expansion pack that comes out for every single game that uh, i purchase i mean there are some except exceptions like I mean, Wingspan, uh, which I'll review later. Any expansion pack that comes out for Wingspan, that's an instant buy. There's no thinking about it, no answers or buts. It's it's an instant buy. Uh, or, oh, what's the other one? Uh, Dinosaur World as well, that was another one where it was, you know, instant buy all the expansion packs as well. Um, no waiting around for that one. I, I mean, I'm not even a big dinosaur fan, but instant buy. Uh, Warfighter, not so much. Um, insta buy for every single expansion pack even though I want to it's much more easy to stop yourself from getting into it and trying to wait for someone else to buy it to review to see what exactly is in there and if it's for you um, so I like that they're continuing to put invest and put money back into the game and to give you more stuff to, to play with it's awesome but again it's still you know 20 bucks a pop and yeah, that's kind of the con there you may have the uh, you may not have all that, all those funds to kind of get everything that you want to. So you have to really space out and figure out what you want, what you don't want. For instance, uh, the St. Lowe uh, expansion for the World War II one, uh, I really want to get, but I'm still waiting to see if there's like some sort of video out there to kind of show what's in the expansion pack before I buy into it. Because the battle itself, the history of the battle is really cool and I want to get into it. But... Uh, if it translates well in the expansion pack, I don't know. Basically, how I've tried to purchase each expansion pack for the game is, is there a, a YouTube video out there that has somebody unboxing the expansion pack and showing each individual card that's in the expansion pack? And then, based on what I see in there, I may I may decide to purchase it, or I may decide just to, you know, leave it alone for good. So that's kind of like how I found out which specific expansion packs I needed for the World War II one to add what I wanted to the game. And uh, part of it was, uh, you know, getting more locations. And the location cards are, like, stacked or sprinkled throughout all the expansion packs. So it's just kind of like picking and choosing, well, which one do I go for next? Do I really want it? Do I really want to add that stuff? Yeah, no. You know, buy, don't buy. Again, if it seems like it's a lot of back and forth of good things and bad things, that's, that is how I explain the game. A love-hate relationship. Love the game to death, but also hate the game to death. <laughs> just for reaching into the to the wallet. And it's not like there are Steam summer sales on the expansion packs all the time to where you get half off for all of them. I mean, I wish that were the case, but it, it's just the reality of it. But uh, all in all, a solid 8.0 out of 10 for, for the series as a whole. Now I will rank the ones that I've got uh, real quick for you. I mean, again, I, I don't have two, at least two of them in, in my collection right now, but if I had to rate them, it would go the PMC is top one because it has a structured campaign system, which I really like. And also just so many extra things that you can add to it. So PMC is at the top of the list. Uh, next comes the World War II one. And then uh, at the number two spot. And then the number three spot is the Shadow War one. And then number four is the modern one. Uh, basically the first one that came out in 2014. So that's like my ranking system. And if I had to rank each one of them individually, the PMC would be a 9.0, World War II would be 8.5, Shadow would be about an 8, 
8 to 8.5, and then the modern one would be an 8. But yeah, overall, the, the entire series, it's an 8 for me. So if you're interested in uh, in that game, then, uh, you know, check eBay, check uh, the Board Game Geek uh, for to try and price out the best one for you. Um, if you've never played it and just want to, like, take a little dip, I would say use the, the Modern War one, the Special Forces one from 2014. Start out with that one first to kind of get an idea of how the game plays. Otherwise, if you don't care about how difficult it is to get into it and you just want to select the theme that you like the most, feel free to select whichever one appeals to you the most and get into that one. The, the rulebook really takes you through everything just fine. You will have uh, little issues, but if you just want to like figure out if it's for you or not, that's the one I would start with, the one from 2014, because generally that one's going to be the, the cheaper one. At least, uh, let, me, let me check real quick. Yeah, yeah. Generally, the Special Forces one is one of the cheaper ones. World War Two can be on the cheaper side if you can find it. It's a it's, both of them are about uh, forty dollars if you can uh, get a solid copy that's not beat up or anything. Um, and then the more expensive side is going to be the Pacific Theater one is uh, getting up there, pretty expensive. And then the um, the PMC also as well as uh, on the higher tier of how how expensive it is. Because, like, for the Pacific and PMC, it's... I mean, I saw one copy up there for $200, which I think that's a little excessive. But more realistically, it's probably in the $60 range. Same with PMC, around the $65 range. Um, so, again, kind of expensive on the expensive side. When I got it, they were much cheaper. Um, I guess through popularity, they've gotten it a little more expensive due to demand. Don't know. But, uh, yeah, so there's kind of, like, the pricing range to kind of get that in mind. With that, that's the end of uh, the review of the, the entire series, I'll say. Entire series of Warfighter. So the next time, next episode, I don't know. I've been playing a lot of No Man's Sky recently, so maybe it's time for a good No Man's Sky episode of how I started in my journey with even figuring out what it is and then being a day one buyer, actually. So I'll talk about that, my initial thoughts back then, and what I think about the game now. But until then, this is Call Sign Scooter, and I'm signing out.